This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast and today is uh, somebody who I actually wrote down on a list of mine when I first started this out um, and I'll tell you why because I, I, he was one of the first long interviewees that I ever listened to um, over the last sort of five, six years and I remember a, a really detailed conversation and debate that I was having with my mate and that was about where was B2 from? And because uh, everything that I was seeing, this guy, he said, this guy is a Midlands boy. I could tell this <laughs> the way he had his body. Everything was just. And then to my shock horror, he was from London. And so uh, I followed his uh, his journey from there. And if you ever, if you think you've made it and, and you look on his timeline and you ain't on there, forget it. So that's all I'm going to say. So welcome to B2. Thank you for coming on the Bandwagon podcast. How's it going, man? Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I really appreciate the quick turnaround, man, the quick answer. It's a bit, a bit rare nowadays that I get a really fast response, so. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, if you ain't got a blue tick, you ain't known in it. I ain't got a blue tick yet, so. Oh, yeah. You, you get stuck in it. How's things been with you? Good, man, good. We're really busy, uh, just with shows and everything, so uh, it's just been crazy at the moment. So we've got a big, big busy um, summer coming up as well, and it's busy at the moment, so weddings are just every day and any day at the moment. How do, how do you get to balance your time out? Because I get tired looking at people's uh, Instagram posts and stuff, and they're at this wedding and they're at that wedding, and DJs of, often get the brunt of it because they all look the same. So how do you yeah. kind of make sure you kind of balance out that family time, your business time, and your work? Yeah, I mean, um, well, this this is my work. So the shows, this is my business, this is my work, this is my my what come, what brings you know the bread on the table, as you say. So I do obviously it's sometimes, you know, with school holidays and holiday times, you know, it's hard to sort of get out on holidays in, as such, because obviously at those times when everyone's off, I it's my busiest times. Those are my, that's my, the time that I'm busy. That's where I'm working. That's the, the key time for myself. That's when the season is in, in, in its peak. So that is sometimes hard. So we obviously have to balance our holidays, our family sort of time. Uh, around that but besides that everything else you know is good because obviously I'm self-employed as in like the studio wise you know so it's not like I have to go out and do a certain job this is my job and this is my profession so I can sort of manage my time quite quite easily in around that in that sort of sense you're one of the, the interview that I'm referring to you you talked about actually about where you went to India to go and learn uh, your the the art of singing and Punjabi folk in, um especially and you there was a I remember you put up a post of that and um I actually just had to follow you again I don't know what's happened there um on, on Insta but I remember seeing a post where you said from 1992 to where you are now um what was your journey to the stage like, especially as a as a young singer? I mean, uh, first I started on a very young age. I started with the Great Indian Dancers as a singer and Thumbi player. And they really guided me. Like before it was just like, oh, I like singing and I like sort of playing the Thumbi. But it was just self-taught. Mm. Right. 
And the great dancers, you know, they said, look, you, you've got a talent for this. You've got, you know, you've got a knack for it as a natural, like you've picked this up quite naturally that you should, you know, learn properly and get taught by a star. So they guided me and they took me to my first Ustad, who was uh, Ajit Singh Desi, who was also in South. So I was from South at that time. And he was a classical trained, um, you know, musician. And he taught me about rags and how to sort of get into scales and things like that. And he taught me a lot about that. And then obviously my passion was with the tumbi. So I did play the tumbi before, like I was still playing the tumbi at that time. But then I was, then I went to uh, India to learn from my Ostaji, who then taught me the style of tumbi that I play now, which is the Surawari tumbi. Okay, so what's the very so you've mentioned a few things here. One where the modern day producers don't necessarily know about rag and scales and so forth, but then you've also kind of narrowed that down into the style of tumbi. Like <clears throat> my only little claim to fame was my my granddad actually had a tumbi given to uh, bought from Yamalaja uh, back in oh, the day. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but as kids we broke it, so I can't say. Anything, <laughs> yeah. um, as you do in it, as you do, he couldn't play. Um, but we, we, you know, as you do, you just kind of, you, you kind of pick up a bit. I can't do anything now. I've got some made by Runner. He's made me a, a custom one. But just going back for a second there, where <clears throat> can you explain the differentiations between like the the uh, how scale and rag affects the tumbi? Uh, well, oh, if you know, if you understand rags and scales, right, then you'll. The tumbi, like people think that oh the tumbi is just a you know two three notation kind of instrument very simple very sort of standard uh, instrument but as we've shown you know there's a lot more that we can do with the tumbi as as I do on my Instagram page and you've seen on my YouTube stuff and all that so not only playing to Punjabi folk stuff you know music but also playing to contemporary pop you know grime whatever you want to call it, R&B, hip-hop sort of style of songs as well. You know, once you understand uh, where your placement of, of of the key is of the song, like the tonic key, the, the what scale is going, if it's a major, minor scale, you know, when you get into, you know, that kind of depth of music, then it's very easy to sort of strip down a song and understand it and sort of understand where, you know, what notation is being used and what kind of, uh, what vibe is on, what kind of mood it's got, what is setting, you know, that's it comes very easily. But that I only learned from learning classical. So I wouldn't say I'm a classically trained musician because obviously when you're talking about classical, then you're going into depth of classical music is very deep. So I would say I'm semi-classical semi trained, right? So, okay. but I do understand rugs and I've done a lot of work with rugs because I've done a lot of recording. I used to work uh, for Kuljit Bamra, who's a music producer. That's where I started off, and I spent quite a few years with him uh, in his studio, Red Four Studio in Southall. And we used to do a lot of... ...emotional music and, you know, Gwali and things like that. So I had to have a certain understanding of what, even as a recording artist, you need to understand uh, and guide the musicians and the people that are in the studio as well. So you need to understand if something's not sounding right, if something's a bit out of key. Sometimes when these musicians are so in deep, in, engrossed in what they're doing and they're in the zone, sometimes things go a little bit out of key and things like that. So you have to understand that, you know, what kind of rag, what what uh, scales they are playing in. So sometimes even when I never used to understand the rag, if I didn't know the rag, I used to actually ask them, I say, right, can you tell me the notation? Of this rug, so I can keep an eye out for what's going on. So make sure that no one goes out of key or things like that. So once they should tell me the notation, then I would understand what the what rugs are going to be playing or what scales are going to be on. Uh, I got two kind of different ways that I want to take the conversation. I'll start with one, and then I'll get to the other bit. Your tumbi is very very modified in that way. Uh, is that kind of bespoke done where you've put all those extra parts on it, or is that something that? is kind of fairly commonly you can buy no you can't commonly buy this so basically my ostaji uh Jangpuri, he's the one that created this this style of tumbi so when he created it um obviously he, he taught me and you know while i was learning he never i didn't have the permission to play this live at that time for quite a few years 
right? So I was still learning until I got to a certain stage. He gave me the permission to start that now I can start performing with the Stumbi. This was at a young age. Um, and then when I started performing the Stumbi, then I started, obviously, because I was still learning about rags as well at the same time. I was still going through that training of semi-classical training. Then I expanded on this Stumbi, the one that he gave me. And I sort of, you know, put more keys on there. I was the first one, I'm the first person to actually had mic'd up the Tumbi in a certain way um, that I could play live on stage against like dual players and things like that. Because that was one massive um, fallback I used to have when I used to be, when I first started playing the Tumbi with the great in dancers, especially, is that we used to have two big drummers, like, you know, they, their drums were massive. These are not the type of drums that the tools that you would hear today these were traditional drums they were really really big and they were really loud and i'll have two of these tall players on both sides of me gavi buddy and uh buddy on one side and they would just be beating this tall and i'll be just with one single mic with my tumbi and you can imagine the 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 clash that you know i could if they raise my mic up you start getting feedback you know and the, the instrument's so small and if i played it too hard i'd break the string so i was going through these complications and then when i went to university I was studying um, sound engineering and uh, uh, music technology at university in, in Guildhall. And that university, London Guildhall, uh, University in Allgate, on every floor, there, there was about six floors, and every floor there was like different um, segments of music sort of courses going on. So I was obviously on the technology side of things where I was learning about the studio and frequencies and that. But on the floor beneath me was the violin makers. Right. This was very yeah. interesting. The violin makers and I used to in my break times, I used to go down to the violin makers and see how they make their instruments. And it was amazing. The art of violin making is something like mind blowing. I'll tell you, seriously, they would have to learn and train how to make the tools first before they ever made the violin. So I used to sit down with them and talk to them about how they're making their violins, what kind of uh, texture they're using, how to mic it up. And this is where I got the idea of micing my tumbi up. And like before I had certain mics on there, but they would never, they weren't perfect. Then they sort of told me the art of, look, this is the frequencies that you need to cut out. These are the ones that need to come in. And this is how we do it with the violin. Then I adapted that to the tumbi. And uh, obviously I had, a, I had some help from my, uh, one of my lecturers there as well who was quite advanced in this kind of stuff as well, one of my lectures. And he actually, you know, we made a certain component to go into the tumbi to make, you know, amplify enough so it won't have no feedback, but at the same time, we give the right sort of gain. Yeah, because that's mad. Like, the the mic boom, when I used to play tall as a, uh, in tall blasters as a youngster. And I used to know the difference in terms of, like, we had ambala tall, which was a bit lighter, but louder. Then yeah. you have a talia, which was heavier, and you... When you're growing, you used to cane your neck. and That's right. Um, but then the other bit was when um, Gatan started, uh, Gatan Mal was about selling uh, tools with mics in there already kind yes. of preloaded and the weight that, that used to add on it. And then <clears throat> the difference in terms of a sonic, in terms of the the sound of when it went with a, with a mic in and out, used to vary as well. So to get that right, you know, That's all right. these little things where people don't necessarily kind of take into consideration. Now, when you when you looking at a, a tumbi, is there a particular kind of wood that you favour than than another type? Obviously, now I mean I've gone into quite a lot of depth with the tumbi now, so I have I have different tumbis, different materials, different uh, sizes, and etc. for different re for different uh, things that I'm going to use it for. For example, in in the studio, I'll use more of a pumpkin, which we call a gadu type of tumbi on a certain keys you know to go on a higher pitch i'll go into a, into a different thing called a bell type of tumbi which will give me a higher note and then i've got um you know for my live live stuff when i'm performing live i like prefer to use a like a more of a nadial type of tumbi or something like that because it's more dense it's like it's not letting any frequencies come in bounce back in so i use different sort of uh different tumbis different things for different applications now Mm -hmm. so you know your journey with the tumbi this isn't even before you started singing is that right that's right yeah first i started playing the tumbi first yeah so i don't need normally especially with, i learned this with the um, buddha jagpa podcast that i did was um 
when I think that people that where they started their musical careers and the albums that they released, there's always a two or three that I've always missed out. So I always let the the guests kind of narrate the story in terms of what was your first move from the thumbi to start singing in terms of it, it, up to the point of releasing your first kind of single album. Well, you know, it was like a natural progression when I was performing so much with the great in dancers. You know, this, you know, even they said to me that look, you should do an album, and I wanted to do an album as well. I was thinking, let, let me try it. Uh, making an album and uh, I was working at uh, Kuljit Bamba studio we did a we did a uh, full full album on reel to reel so this was all acoustic right so there was no digital format in this album and uh, it took a bit of time to create this album because it was all live and then from after that then we were about to release it but then um then a sound came out, a, a certain sound came. I think it was B21 sort of had that sound at that sort of time. It was a very digital sort of sound uh, started coming out. So, and that album wouldn't have worked and it wouldn't have sort of been the right sort of album at that time because it was more acoustic. So then we sort of scrapped that album altogether. And then we went totally digital and then we sort of had to buy all the computers in to, to redo the album. Uh, because that sound had just changed overnight. That's the thing with mu the music industry. Sounds change overnight. You know, something especially, like... Especially someone like the Thumbi, because that interesting you mentioned that, that because one of my favourite Thumbi pieces is actually on Putsar Darande with the Def Jam. I always yes. love that. And I, and I feel like I value that more emotionally when I feel it than, let's say, Monday on Tapachke, which is, yeah. you know, you know, you know uh, at that bit. But like... The sound of that, even when uh, Live and Direct came out with uh, Bali Jagpal doing Nukare Bin Sori, the Thumbi on that was kind of distinct as well. Did you yeah. did you kind of, I don't know whether I'm putting words in your mouth here, but was there a sense of frustration that you're like, I can do all of this and stuff and I'm not, I, I want to quickly jump on it and kind of release it? Right. No, it wasn't like that. No, it was, I mean, I, I could hear it. I could, you know, there was things I was, I was already performing quite a yeah, lot at that okay. time anyway. So I didn't have that urge that I need to do it right now, you know, or try to, you know, it wasn't like, like that. I was, it was a, it was a sort of smooth uh, sort of transition as in like what I wanted to do. And because I was going into the studio sort of arts as well. And I was going to the, and I already had been trained about from that at that time in semi-classical when I understood music quite a bit mm. at quite a young age. Um, so it was, a, it was a good sort of transition going into that. But yeah, I mean, I used to hear all of those songs and they were great. I mean, like you said, uh, the, the ones that you were saying, and uh, I mean, my favourite from those sort of times was on that Otina Otina. Remember the, the Tumbi piece that came in? Yeah, we with Premi and stuff, yeah. Premi, yeah. That used to be like, you know, I used to always replay that, and it was like mm. that one used to be like, wow, you know, this is amazing. The the sound on that was just crazy. So, did you come from a musical kind of background? Because like your brother is super talented as well. You know, like give him a big massive shout out. But like, how did that influence? You? How did you kind of get into music? Was it just something that you kind of developed, or was it kind of already in the family? Yeah, I mean, it's, it it wasn't like it wasn't in our family in as in such, but it was. Like my uncles and all that, they, they there was my like my dad's mama. He was a quite a good writer. Um, he was like an old school writer. He used to write with Dave Three K. One of they used to be uh, like teachers at the same place, one of these colleges in Ludhiana, and they were from Jagannath sort of side. And he was quite into this as well, and he used to play the tumbi as well. So then my my dad's cousin brothers, they sort of like all, always uh, were into that as well, but they never done it in, as in a profession as in how I do it now. There was just like, it was like more or less their hobbies. So growing up, listening to them, like whenever there was a family function or anything like that, they would always be, you know, the we would come out and they would be performing. So that's where I saw it first. But at that time when I saw it, nobody knew about the Tumbi in this country. Like, well, it was amazing because I even used to go to Pina Musical and things like that. They were like, the oldest sort of musical shop in Southall. Mm. And even they didn't know what Tumbi was. You know, I used to say, yeah, I don't want a Tumbi. They give me, what is that? Like, what does it look like? <laughs> you know, and then even that's that's how far back, you know, even they didn't know, like they used to be into classical music instruments. They didn't know about the Tumbi. They didn't even used to sell them. And then they bought some in and then that's where I bought my first Tumbi from. So then when you got got into kind of more vocals and stuff like that, did you have a, a separate style for that in, in terms of where you were learning from? Yeah, so my, my the style that I had for my singing was a Jeet Singh Desi. So he was another guy from Southall and yeah. he's the one that was teaching me uh, on how, you know, 
rags and scales and all that work uh, mm. as in, on a singing sort of thing. You were talking about studio and stuff like that. Did you already have it in the back of your mind that you wanted to build a kind of a studio and have everything in in house at at at, at that stage? Um, no, when I started singing, I mean, it all sort of progressed from it was all fi finance based, right? So when I used to when I want to get an album done or want to get a couple of tracks on, I sort of looked around and it was too expensive you know, to hire our studios and things like that. So, you know, then I started working at a studio at Kulji Brahma Studio. That's where I was getting trained. I did my album there. Then from there, then it was just natural to, you know, go into, you know, start the sound pipe. And from the sound pipe, from the studio, we now, you know, we have three studios, the record label and the music uh, video side of things, the company. Uh, so it just grew from, from that, you know, from just from the singing for my own and making my own music then people come to me and, you know, start saying, oh, yeah, can you make our music? Yeah. Like, well, you know, we heard that you made your album. We heard your album. It was great. We want to, can you make our music? From there, you started spiraling. And then we were doing so much music for other artists. And then, then we obviously launched the label because we had so many people coming through the studio. We thought it's just natural to get them, you know, we can give them the whole package, get, get them the release, make them their video, get them, uh, the, get the music done, get the lyrics done. So it was just like a one-stop shop. But those who obviously kind of, um, uh, some people kind of listen to the podcast, they try and uh, gauge where the, the 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 scene is based on the peers and the kind of time frame that you're talking about. When you were doing your first album, who were the peers and what 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 was it kind of the years that you were working on that or the... the I mean, when I did my first album, the people that, I mean, PMC was out, you know, PMC had his stuff out, Zeus was doing his thing. Um, B21 just had started, you know, obviously Bhutta and all that, there, I mean, uh, Jack Powell, but Bhutta. You're, actually, you're talking late 90s, early 2000s, maybe? No, yeah, late 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so going into, like, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah, going into 2000s, yeah. 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 So that's the sort of time when I was, like, planning and making my album. Because my, my first album actually came on, uh, I can't remember what... Um, like the the frustrating thing was that my first album it was called Recorded Delivery, and it came out on the day when the bloody nine eleven happened. So we were we were launching the album and bloody that catastrophe happened in the world and you know everybody's attention was on that. So it was yeah. just like oh my god, it was just shambles. Because I was you know, the way that one of the things that I always kind of um, when I look back is it's it's been around innovation, and uh, you know where you were talking about. Um, how like you've you've moved from kind of Jazzy actually said this as well where you going from you went from kind of vinyl cassette to mm. CD MP3 all the and and that's kind of mirrored you as well in terms of your kind of releases and stuff and that yeah. how, how you you gave a slight insight of it how did you have to kind of adapt that technology for your production as well because that's not only as a singer that you do then you got technology moving along and you got double the costs as it's as it's yeah. constantly yeah. going. I mean, but yeah, I mean, we even pressed vinyls for my first album and the, the first album was on, then came out on uh, cassette and CD. And, you know, in, in between that, there was other little MP3s and other little formats that were coming out. Uh, not MP3, sorry. Uh, there was another format, a small sort of format. Yeah, you had mini disc. You had mini disc and things like yeah. that, yeah. But then also the one that I think kind of killed us as well, saying it was obviously piracy was kicked in as well. Then is it, is it... piracy was massive at that time. Yeah. I mean, before this online platform uh, launched, you know, the piracy was really, really big. So you know, we were releasing cassettes and CDs, and you would just have pirate pirate copies everywhere. You know, it it was just a it was a nightmare, especially when I was at that time I was launching the label as well. Okay. So how did that, so how did you have to adapt like what was your did you have any way of trying to kind of like combating it as well at the same time? Because I've I've spoken to a lot of artists and stuff and they, they've said that some of the biggest people who were kind of uh, were sending the music out with some of their best mates, <laughs> you know, like they, they got it the first copy press it, sending them out, or you yeah, go yeah. to a record label. I remember going into Envy once and then I said, Oh, we've got was it Envy? No. I ain't gonna drop them in there. It was a record, a record label shop. Walked in, said, "Oh, if you got this one, it'll cost you X amount. If you want a pirate version, it's this amount." And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, "It didn't make sense to me." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was happening a lot. It was happening a lot. Uh, and uh, you know, we we were from South, so we had to 
you know, keep an eye. And that was a big hub as well. Like, you know, you have a South or then you've got the, you know, obviously Birmingham, the, the Soho Road sort of side, you got East London, uh, all that sort of side. So there was a certain where our communities are sort of, uh, you know, where, where we have our music is sort of sold the most, you know, those places they had, uh, a lot of piracy going on and we always had to go and check up and you know make sure and report it and sort of try to you know and we used to just pick up the the pirate cds and just walk off you know what i mean because it was our music they were just they were just cutting us you know you know cutting our knees man with with all of this piracy that was going on yeah. and it was hard at that time and it used to stifle quite a lot of uh new talent and i always kind of blame that because there was always a lull wasn't there after a little bit in the uk where it it really dropped off because I think there was no money to be made at that bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, when you when you look oh god, something bloody high. But first I wore gla- glasses properly for a whole podcast and it's all um when you're looking back at your your career and your early section of your career, I'll I'll, I'll call it indifferent because I this one, what you're in now is evergreen. I'm just gonna call it evergreen. Your first kind of period on it, when, what was the pivotal point where you thought, hang on, I'm catching Windia. There's something that I'm doing um, that is, is actually, there's a fan base growing. There's a yeah. sound that I've got. Because I always remember you guys had a particular sound. Which yeah. was, like, how did you know that was, that you, you, you got there? Um, I think, you know what, with, with our thing, uh, to be honest, it was more on the performance that caught people's eye more than I think the music maybe. I mean, you know, when we, I mean, the first kind of tracks that started really uh, circling was like Majajane, Bababe, you know, Ranabotal Vargi. Ranabotal Vargi. I was at that, uh, that for me, kind of, I was into that folk heavy. So when I saw you coming out with, and you guys were releasing this stuff, I was like, this is it, man. And then, I think when you guys dropped uh, Bandook, you know, the Kaka version, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, tall yeah, version, yeah. yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That bit, to this day, I still play that track. Yeah. Like, like in my car, like, I'm not no DJ. Yeah. But yeah. when I hear that, I was like, I love that. And you guys can't, that's why I always thought, these are Midlanders, man. These guys are yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm guessing." laughs> You know what? And the funny thing is, just that you saying that is like, 99% of our shows are in, mid- in the Midlands. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's where we mostly perform. But at that time, it was like, like 100%, you know, those sort of times. So, I mean, the, the music sort of brought us, uh, introduced us to the the circuit, to the wedding circuit, to the, the gig circuit, to the Mela circuit. But once we were in there, you know, what started, what was selling us was our performance. That's what people enjoyed. And, in, and until now, that's what people are booking me for and what want to get me is before the energy that I bring to the to the show, to the, the, the my presence, my my, uh, you know, the attitude that I come with. You know, that is what people like more than mm. now the music. You mm. know what I'm saying? They want mm. they want they want they always say like, you know, they go, yeah, I, I, like you did at the other party that we had in our family, you know, do that, do this. And so it's, it's a performance that is more sort of kept me going. Yeah, because I'll give you the innovation bit. The only bit where I thought these like did a clever end, they were right, was I think uh, you, you can shoot me down if I'm wrong with this. Yeah, so I'll put my hat. Brit Asia started doing the live sessions, and I think you guys were the one of the first ones that had it kind of pre recorded and done like, yes, you already had it out in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because there was a technique. I got this in a live session, man. This is all pre recorded. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, because we actually. Even the live sessions out of that concept, we were doing that before, mm. before British Asia was even British Asia, yeah. right? Before that, we used to do like live sort of skits and things like that from from the studio uh, for YouTube and things like that. But those ones, the ones that you were talking about, the ones that you're talking about, yeah, we had pre-recorded that because we didn't have the technology, mm. uh, as in like the amps and all that, to actually mm. mic everybody out. Yeah. yeah. So we would just go in the studio, we would record everything one by one, you know, with everyone sort of playing it, and then we would just play it back. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. just, like, you know. Yeah, sort of... uh, going back to the kind of the word of the moment in the podcast is around innovation, that your videos was always kind of separate. I think the only kind of other person, um, there's always a few artists who yeah. always come up with newer concepts, but your videos always used to be fairly unique in it. How, yeah. how did you try and keep on top of that to make sure that your last video, because that's another pressure that you're adding on, because if you're, right. if you're known for doing good videos 
and you got to keep producing good videos. No, no, like, thank you for again, that. I'm, I'm glad that you, yeah, I'm glad that you touched on that point actually because that's a re- that was a really important sort of part of our our career as well, and is really important to us because I mean I always used to feel that people weren't appreciating my the videos that we made, you know, because it was so different. You know, they were just wanted the the girls and the cars and yeah. that same sort of thing, and we were doing totally different videos at that time. You know, we we had little storylines going on there. We were, because that's I enjoyed that, and hence what I'm doing today. I'm making a movie today. Now, you know, that is what I'm in currently because that was my. I enjoyed that. I like the visual going with the music, and I had. There were, I'm not going to mention the name, but there was a music uh, a music video producer in India when we were releasing Ranbotalvargi. Right. And I sat there and I said, um, look, guys, we were going to give it to somebody else to make that video because we thought this track's going to be big. Right. We need to do something great. And, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about it. I said, listen, I don't want the same old, you know, girls, this, that. Can't. And he goes, mate, you can't make a video without girls and this and that. <laughs> you can't do it. I said, is it? I said, in that case, you move aside. Let me make my own video. Whether it's good or bad, I'm going to make the video for this. Yeah. So we made the video. We had no models in it. We had no, like, you know, uh, that kind of concept in there. And that, that video was brilliant. And that was great. It was the number one song in India for, like, God knows how long. I remember, was it the Usain Bolt with the, the you're doing the, the Usain Bolt kind of celebration in one video? I remember that one very yeah. distinctly. And stuff from there. That was uh, uh, Lumbi Wagarke, big, we called it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, it. that's it. So, like, um, in terms of when you, um, I, I know I'm, you're spinning a lot of plates at this moment, so you've got your, I'm, I'm getting into the kind of the movie, kind of the acting stuff and that. But, like, did you get a point of frustration when you were looking at, when you're looking on your career where, okay, let's put the, the weddings and the roti aside, that's earning and you're doing all of that. But as an artist that you're looking around in terms of, what's going on in the actual scene like was did it start to become stale for you did you ever think like oh, i can't be asked to do this so i just want to stay into kind of production because you, again i mentioned the, your timeline and if especially on instant stuff like you're one of the rare ones who've actually had like gadasman in a studio and you've worked with him consistently well i'll say yeah. consistently or periodically like do you think you don't you get enough credit for that side of stuff as well or not um not really i mean you know what that is you know when you're sort of trying to juggle everything around you're not like i'm not i don't really promote that sort of side of things like you know the studio why side not why not um just uh, i don't know really i mean that's a good question i never really thought about it i mean I've, people come to the studio even now like great big names are always coming in in and out of the studio recording stuff um i don't really promote that kind of stuff i don't, I don't really know why i mean it's just like for some reason, I don't know, it just feels normal to me. I mean, I don't really feel like I need to sort of promote it. I mean, that's just, it's always been there. Um, but the studio sort of stuff is, you know, it's, it's really been a lifeline for me. As in, if I was just a singer, I, wouldn't have been, I won't be here, I wouldn't have been here today. Mm. You know, so that studio, sort of people coming in the studio recording stuff, you know, they kept the momentum going. You know, and they paid the bills, and then they pay. It'll make I'll make enough money to make my own album, and then we'll make enough money to make my own music videos. So that was that was a good thing about that sort of time. But um, what was the other thing that you said as well? There was um, um something that you just mentioned. I wanted. To... Oh, about being stale. Like what, the the scene was being stale. Did you get? Oh, the scene was being stale. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure what you mean by that, but there was a there was a time. That's the time that I'm talking about, probably around about 2013 to 15 to 16, maybe in yeah. that area where like... What what was frustrating, uh, I'll tell you at that time, what, what nearly actually threw me off. Like, and I thought, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this. Like, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, um, the industry as such. And it wasn't us making the music. It wasn't us making, creating new material. It was, it was getting it out there, right? So the frustration was, getting the record label, first of all, right? That This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
because by the time you would get a record label, your music's out of date already. That's what I was getting. One thing that was very frustrating. Second thing was then getting uh, onto the platforms, right? For like these media platforms, the radio stations, the TV stations. That was the biggest nightmare because they had a monopoly on this, right? So they would they would uh, pull the strings and they would say, right, okay, this person's playing this week, this person that, and if your music wasn't played, it wasn't reaching out to the audience. You wasn't you wasn't getting that airplay. And what the best thing about now today's time is, right? Which is absolutely brilliant for new artists. And this is what all I say. Now is the best time, and it's so easy to get your music out because you are going to create your own audience. Now you create your own. Now you don't need to worry about TV stations. You don't need to worry about radio stations. You don't need to worry about websites or interviews and things like. You don't need to worry. You create your own audience. You create your own platforms, and that's where people connect with you and that's where people understand you and, and they you know they follow you and that's how you build your audience now and that is the best thing about today's time compared to the time that we were trying to release music isn't it a bit of a double-edged sword in terms of like yeah it's easy access to do it i mean I, i'm a hypocrite for this because obviously i'm doing this myself as my own one, but i don't give a fuck about my uh my audience uh in in the sense i'm not there for money i'm doing it out of my own curiosity and people yeah. want. like the double-edged sword where you've got it's easy access to release it, but the amount of crap that's being released as well at the same time, it, you know, it can oversaturate a market. I think at least before, I don't agree it was right, but at least there was people who couldn't get onto the scene and it would automatically double think, do I need to, do I want to re no, release no, no, but the, No, but the problem is that the, the, the thing is, yeah, you're saying it, there's a lot of crap coming out. I agree to agree with you. But the thing is, when they were doing it, when the TV stations, the radio stations had control, they were mm. putting more crap out there yeah. and they were letting the talented people, they, would, they wouldn't see that, oh, this guy's got talent and this is something about this. You know, let's put, you know, or this guy's doing X, Y, and Z. You know, they deserve to be on there. Now, they would just put the crap out because if they either got paid more, right, that was a, that was a, that's a real reason. The, the ones that would bring the crap out would be just paying more. But now, People make their own choice. Your audience, the audience isn't stupid. The audience can see what crap is and what good music or what talent is and what non-talent is. So, you know, it doesn't matter if there's 10,000 people out there doing the same sort of thing, but are crap because the audience won't follow them. You can see it from their followership. And what, where, where they see the talent and where they appreciate what's going on, they will follow that. So yeah. it's the audience's choice and his audience is always right. You're one of the few kind of exported uh, products that you got from the UK. Who's actually successful in India as well, and um, which may not get people aware of, or probably will be aware of. How did you have to adapt your your sound? Because um, I remember listening to um, you did a 2017 interview, and in there the, you were talking about how engineers in the UK are different. And how in um, in Mumbai and in Delhi and Punjab they're all different as well. But if you're coming up with a product, how do you, wh which side do you balance off? Because if if you if we just kind of agreed to a point that in the UK it was a little bit stale and there was it was a frustrating time, then you just cater to just the India. You get diluted in your kind of sound, and then you you lose your own kind of vision in terms of what you're doing. Is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, at that time it was. Now it's not sort of thing. Now the the sound over there is so. I mean, that is the sound that's working now, right? At that time when we were there, uh, when we did Run Borderland, we and I did Jetta Kistiari, uh, uh album and Baba Ven, all that. Those were the two three albums that we done at that time. I was doing a lot of shows in 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 Punjab at that time, and at that time, what was Hit, the hit and what was the sound was like Munmoon Vare, Sarpajanaman. That was the sound at that time. So my sound was a little bit different, but it was good in the sense that I was still getting shows there. And um, but like you said, the the technology and the sound was different at that time. They were they were more releasing on uh, you know it, it was like ADATs and things like that over here. The sound was different. They were gone totally had gone digital at that time. Mm -hmm. Right. But now, obviously, the the technology is like even I would say they've even got even more superior and advanced technology in India now. Mm -hmm. And the sound that they're producing is absolutely amazing. And that is the sound now. So at that time, it was it was kind of hard because sometimes you think, shit, shall I shall I cater to that or shall I cater to this? You know, the sound over here and over there were 
totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's two completely different things. Did you feel? I can't really frame this in a time frame if I'm uh, uh, if I'm being honest. Do you feel like the the rest of the kind of industry was giving you respect in terms of like how you were moving on and you were working in different kind of markets? Because not everybody can do that. And as we know, this industry, the entertainment industry, I'll call it the media industry now, because an artist has to be a, a content creator has to do that. Brings a lot of negative energy and stuff like that. Did you? How did you kind of cope with that? I mean, look, it's always things are always going to, you know, negative energy and things like that. They always that's always going to be there. You know, this is one of the reasons that I really try to keep myself to myself in that sense, that I never sort of get involved in like into a group of people or a group of singers or a group of producers or, you know, a certain, you know, click. But who taught you that? Because like you've you've had like the greats around you. Is that something that they've told you? Was it a particular person who told you? You know, it's like it's being around people like Gurdasman. You know, it's being around people like Kuljit Bamra. Kuljit Bamra taught me a lot of things. You know, the music producer Kuljit Bamra. I'm talking about, yeah, the one that done Real Gaddi, the one yeah. that done, uh, you know, Jagwala Mela album for Hira. Another person who doesn't get a lot of credit at all. You know, like, yeah. not very commonly known. Yeah, that's right. And he was at that time. You know, uh, obviously we grew up listening to his music. You you would know about his music and. You know, now maybe people don't know much about him, but he is like one of the legends. You know, there was only two producers, main producers at that time, Deepak Ajanti and Kulja Bamra, you know, and, you know, learning from him. And he, you know, I learned a lot from sitting with people like that. You know, people like, you know, Gulas One, people like Kulja Bamra, people like, you know, the, the seniors, you know, and you see how they sort of, um, you know, how they manage work, how they manage people, how they manage the public, how they manage their clients, you know, so that, you know, and I, I sort of learned that, look, I don't need to be involved in something because I've got talent myself. I understand this myself. I don't need, I don't need anything from anybody else in that sense. Like I don't need to be involved in uh, like a whole lot of singers or a whole lot of producers because, you know, I don't, I don't really need anything from them, you know, and, the, and there was people that made this clip because they think, oh, I need this producer. I need him to do something for me. So I need to be with him. You know, oh, I need to, I need this singer. I'm a producer. I need these singers, you know, because they need to sing for me. Otherwise, I'm not going to be anything. You know, so we never sort of had that, had that issue. And like, like I said, you know, I, I always like being in my own space, in my own. You know, I don't want, you know, people telling me about their problems and this and that, and you know, getting me involved in their their bullshit. You know, I, you know, I'm very sort of straightforward. Keep it, you know, keep it real. Keep work to work. Come, they used to come to the studio, do your thing. And go, you know, what I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sit with you and have a pint. I don't want to sit with you and socialize. You know, when it's work, it's work, and when it's when it's my time to socialize, like that is my time to socialize. And I, I'm very sort of picky of who mm. I'm going to sit with and be with. Brilliant. I mean, like, it's, you know, when you look at the, what's your um, opinion of the market and the the of the situation now? Um, the market is great. It's brilliant. I mean, uh, the things that are going on, like you know, you know, like. You you got the Canada thing happening. You got the India thing. I mean, the India is where is where is really happening at the moment, as in the scale of uh, where the music industry has gone. The Punjabi music industry has gone is is absolutely amazing because they have loyal, 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 loyal fan base, mm. right? And this is what I always used to say. You know, people used to say to me, "Oh, you know, what's India and what, what the the scene sort of thing." Like if you think about Punjabi music in Punjab or whatever we talk about, that is mainstream. Mm. right so now what i feel right in the uk sort of scene the the youngsters that that because it always depends on the these youngsters right it always depends on these the uni crowd on the, these people mm. that is the audience right so they love the music when they're sort of playing it in like in the uh, weddings and things like that but the thing what when you ask them they say yeah we're into grime or we're into this or we're into that it's not really we're into punjabi bangla you know we're not really into into it Sort of thing. You know, you raised something. I was I was smiling as you said it because I I had this uh, this uh, debate where I thought I said exactly that. Where in in India you've got a loyal loyal fan base, right? They, you've got the diehards. You could put out absolute rubbish and they'll still support you, right? They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll buy yeah. it. In Canada, it's a little bit looser than that, but yeah, they're fine. They're still classed as fan. But I feel in the UK, there's no fans anymore. They're customers. That. That's right. 
and I, because you can't the, the fan loyalty now is that they don't care how hard you've worked on it they don't care about anything it's so disposable and yeah. they'll tell you straight up that it's you yeah. know it's crap or anything like that yeah, and, yeah, it, yeah. And, and they're customers and That's you right. bought 30 seconds of their attention or well based on the algorithm you need to do if it's a three minute song that you need 50 percent. they need 90 seconds of your attention if they, you can't yeah. give them that they'll let you know that they're not that's right they're not happy absolutely. about it absolutely no that is right you're absolutely right i mean even now when i go to india i was just there a little while back you know and the people that were coming up to me that recognized me and you know the love and they're talking about the, the songs that i've done back in the day that were hit over there the mm. songs that i've done recently they never sort of reached that market over there but the ones like, you know, Rana Bhutalwargi, Baba Vekalama were big, you know, Jatta Khechatiari, you know, these five, six songs that were really big over there in Punjab, you know, they, those people don't forget. That's yeah. how loyal they are, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we're talking about 10, 15 years ago. Mm. And they don't, they do not forget. Is there, is there kind of a couple of people who you look at and um, that you think, oh, these guys have got the potential? Because like today, like we feel, where we record it, like Diljit's just done Coachella. And you're like, look, look at the look at the platform that is taking, and that's the pathway that it doesn't matter. You can get there if you're good enough. Yeah. And you know, and you look at Siddu, like what what his legacy is still doing to this yeah. day in terms of like yeah. records and stuff. Like, there's no excuses. But like, do you kind of see a couple of individuals, or you think, hmm, or where do you think the market's going to move in the future? Ah, oh, the future. You know what it is. Again, this is another good thing about the market now is that. If something touches the audience now, they will they they will just take it. Like for example, AP, yeah, they came out of nowhere, sort of thing. They've come in and they've just taken it onto another level, right? The concerts, the, the what they've done, the way they've done it, it's really really amazing what they've done, right? And the, like, there's no history, like there wasn't no build up. They just came out in, in a few years. They've just like you know spun this whole thing around. So this was. Things like this never would have happened to that scale. You'll have a you'll you'll have someone that had a hit song, and then they'll just sort of fizzle away, or it'll be it'll be it'll take a, it'll take a while for them to actually get onto a certain platform. Like for example, the, on a concert platform, bloody hell, that it was is unheard of for the time span that they've done it in, right? And you know, and the, the kind of doors that Diljit's opened recent, like in the last few years, in the film industry. You know, you would never expect a Sadar, you know, to be a lead act in such big movies, right? And then obviously doing the concerts and the, the kind of audiences that he's opened himself up to is absolutely amazing. That would have happened at that sort of time, mm -hmm. you know? So the industry is so different now. But, you know, I mean, the people that are now, I mean, there's so many, there's so many different acts now. Like, there's so much going on. You know, like people like Shub, you know, they've come out. You know, a total different sound, brilliant sound, right? So it's, you know, the market is really, is moving and it's good. I think the market is great at the moment, you know, because there's this opportunity to do something different mm -hmm. and people might appreciate it, might not, but, you know, there's the scope there now. You're talking about, like, uh, moving into kind of different kind of markets. You've got moved into film. How did, how did that happen? This was something naturally that was going to happen for me. It was just a matter of time. Like, this should have happened 10 years ago. That's how I believe it. I mean, I'm quite late in doing this. I should have done this. I've had these ideas for the last 15-odd years. And last 10 years, I should have done it. Right? But it's just, you know, it's it's about meeting the right people, getting the right people on board and things like that. Film is quite big because it's not like, you know, it's going to cost you, I don't know, whatever, 10, 15 grand or 20 grand to make an album, whatever, right? This is going to cost, in like, you know, you're talking about millions, right, to actually make a movie. Right, to make half a decent movie, right? So, you know, it, that's what sort of took took the time, but it was a natural progression for me because I this was what I was all I was about. I was about visual. I was yeah. always about the visual. See, the thing is, and I was kind of you kind of stole my point. So, which is what, which is how you invested. If you look back in terms of like you're doing your production, you're doing your your your, your film, your videos. Like that's why I think your your social media content pops off because it's so bloody good in terms of like the production of it. It's clean the way it's shot. Like you can obviously tell like there's a history. No one's just picked up a phone and just done it. I'm shit out my social media. I I openly admit it. 
but like the way have you done it because of the grind and the investment that you've done in your work early on it's coming out it's kind of fruition in that now whether you're whether it's god willing it's a massive success you know from it but you can see there's an evolution in kind of art in what you're doing yeah and funny thing about social media is that um i wasn't really that sort of into it right earlier mm. it was just there i was just now and then posting i wasn't really into it when the lockdown happened that's when i discovered like tiktok and things like that right so i wasn't i mean i heard about it but i wasn't really on it and that's when i started going on you know instagram as well more than i was so from the lockdown is when uh, you know i started doing those comedy skits i thought bloody yeah we're sitting in mars to do something right so we started doing a few little comedy skits people like those and we started i started messing around with the tumbi and people really like that so now i still do that so. have you had any mainstream artists who kind of reached out to you or kind of reposted it from the from like when you've done a version of it um no i don't think so i'm not sure i don't think so i remember yeah. someone i remember someone big sharing when you did um I think it was a kind of a rap one. I should I should have a look at that. I I there was there was one uh, I posted when uh, when we done the Snoop one. The Snoop mm. actually looked at the the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so it. it. It was on my story. He um he actually had viewed the story, so that yeah. was yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sort of took a screenshot of that's it and reposted. Yeah, that. yeah, that's big. Yeah. That's big. So um yeah, so getting into film, like obviously you've got the cost in terms of the risk value. Then if we're managing it by risk. I'm going into kind of millions and stuff and that. Like you, the way you're talking about it is so com confident that you you knew you should have done this from there. What what what? Okay, here we go. I don't watch a lot of Indian films, like Punjabi films. I think the last one I watched was actually you saw that you mentioned in the the 2017 interview was Diljit's 1984 film. Okay. And, um, but every time when I see one of the films coming, I'm like, it's the same cast, it's the same people. Like I don't, and it's just a different title, and it's yeah. shot in the same. It's either Birmingham, London Bridge, and this is just my own uh, yeah. stereotypes, generalization, and and uh, and I um I admit that. Like, how do you make sure that you don't fall into that formula, and somebody like me would be like, oh yeah, I need to watch this. So first of all, I'm not even making a Punjabi film. I haven't made a Punjabi film, right? So that's the number one. <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. Okay, so forget that. Then. <laughs> right, so I didn't want to because um I didn't want to. Do make a Punjabi film because I was going to end up falling into that same category, right? Yeah, because, yeah. And they make it really well, right? So they, what they are making is like brilliant. I wouldn't be able to make my first film like that. What I'm making is a English dialogue film, right, with Punjabi families based on Punjabi things. So it's based. It's a story is based on uh, families in Southall, right? So it's based on that, but it's, the dialogue is all English. Mm. It's all in English. So again, it's a bigger audience. You know, we want we want to sort of target, you know, the non-Asian audience as well. So they can, you know, look look into our, you know, they they because that's what it is, is you know when like why was goodness gracious so great? They understood the language, but they, they were looking through the keyhole and looking what what we're all about, right? What in, the in, inside and, jokes were in it. What the inside it. jokes were, right. That's yeah. it. What what the how they do, what they laugh about. No, so that's the kind of approach that we had with this film. We wanted yeah. to have an audience that could could look into Indian families and say, right, do they, is that what they do? Is that, that's quite funny or, or that's, you know, this so is... What's the, you know, what's the timeline for that for that project then? Uh, I mean, the timeline as in when it's going to be out or what? Yeah, like, is it, has it already started production? Have you ever started kind of like shooting it yet? Or no, no, we've, we've shot the film. It's all done. It's all done now, so it's post-production. It's all in post-production now. Right now we're just finishing up the post-production now. So once it's, the post-production is done, then it's going to be out. You know, then it's going to be just, that's it. We're going to have it out. So then you've got to go and find a distributor and get it yeah. done and selected cinemas and all these kind of things. Yes. Like, how, how much... Like it's obviously like you you love a challenge and all of that. Like you have to keep. How do you know when it? I don't know because I'm looking at your drive. And I'm like I'm knackered hearing this story. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, how do you keep going? It's you know it's just a it's, it's passion. Is when you love something, it doesn't feel like it's work. You know, so even when I was shooting, people couldn't understand, right? I was, we were shooting continuously, like for 20 odd, what, 15, 20 days, whatever we were shooting. And in between that, I was doing shows. So I would, I would do it like in the daytime, I would be shooting and it's so stressful shooting with the whole crew because it's costing so much money, directing this project, acting in this project as well. And then in the evening, going to do a show, then driving up north, 
do the show, come back because it, and, and not sleeping and then be up again in the morning because if the director and the, the, the guy that's actually heading the whole thing isn't up and isn't ready to shoot, the whole team falls. Mm. Everybody starts falling then. So I had to, I knew that I had to be up. I had to be up again in the, in the morning at eight o'clock, even if I got in back at five o'clock in the morning, I had to be up, back up at eight o'clock, you know, seven o'clock, start getting ready, be on set for eight o'clock. So the whole team will carry on. But so it's like, passion. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it because then like, obviously when you see social media, you see PVs kind of social media, you're there and you're seeing all the big kind of, are you, are you getting all the music directors and big stars? Are those the kind of lessons that you're learning and when you're having those discussions at the same time of like, of one about return of investment, knowing that about how to make sure that a product is good. Because you, right. you, you you do hang around with kind of like people at the, in the pinnacle of their professions. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know what? I'm blessed in that sense. You know, I am blessed in that sense. I don't know how it's happened. It's just, you know, God's been kind. And it's just, you know what it's from the inside. When you, when you, like I said earlier on, like I'm very, I'm very sort of picky and choosy of who I sit with. I, I want, I want to be around positive energy. I want, I want to learn something, you know, I want to, um, I want, you know, for example, like, you know, you know, I, I found Peter Verdi up the day before I was about to shoot and I actually had lost my legs at that time. You know, the, the first day of shooting, like I had set everything up and I actually shit myself. I thought, fuck, this is, is this actually going to happen? I'm actually going to shoot a film tomorrow and I actually shit it. I thought, shit, am I going to, is this, I still can pull out right now and I won't lose that much money. But if I go in tomorrow and it starts, that's it. You know, I had to I had to make a phone call and Peter was, he was abroad somewhere. I don't know where he was, like he was in New York or something. And I had to phone him and say, look, you know, Peter, look, I'm actually, you know, sorry to disturb you at this late at night, but am I doing the right thing? You know, and then he had a few minutes and chatted to me and sort of got me retuned and like focused. I thought, right, tomorrow, this is what's happening. We are going to do this. You know, so this is the blessing of having great people around you. Um, is that you know you can pick up the phone and talk to these people and get advice and they will give you the the right advice because you know what they don't want nothing of me I want something of them you know what I mean so for them they they won't ever give me the wrong advice or put me in the wrong path because they are only there for my well being or it, it doesn't matter to them you know so they were only so it's good to have these sort of yeah people. I actually have a, I I had a a few really stories well because when I got into my outside of this I do a lot of uh, drug and alcohol rehab and do some uh, the community work and um, it was actually a conversation that I had with him where I said right I'm gonna go and do a conference around drugs and alcohol for particularly for ethnic minorities and smaller communities and that and it just came from an idea and I thought and that kind of sp spanned on so having those kind of is ironic, ironic it's the same kind of person where we're having that discussion where it makes those uh, makes things happen what yeah. what what does the next sort of six to 12, apart from the film what does the next six to 18 months look like for you oh the next six months is like we got we're just busy 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 with shows now so like it's, it's sort of started off and now every weekend now like till the end of the year like it's going to be quite hectic with shows and in between that obviously we need to finish the film off and obviously start the next one you know it's not like you know when you when you get into post-production on a movie you want you're already thinking of the next idea and that's where i am now i'm really thinking right what we're going to do next now because if you know i mean when this one comes out we need to bam you know be ready for the next one i mean that's how fast the industry is now you know even with the music look how many songs come out like you know look how many look at the artists how i mean they're just pulling songs 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 out straight away you know they'll have like 10 videos 30 songs on the album you know it's not a big deal anymore and, uh, you know, before, I remember the times when you used to look forward to a Safari album that's going to come out, Upper Asangeet album's coming out. And they would, did you ever notice that they would never clash? They would always be spaced out. They were always very out. respectful of timelines, innit? Yeah. Because they were in the inlay, they already told people it's coming out at this time. So that's people right. already had an idea of what it yeah. was going to be. So it was never that you would have two albums that came out at the same time. Malkeith would release his one, then it'll give you a couple of months, and then somebody else would release it. But those songs, the funny thing was, those albums, they were, you would not get bored of them for a whole year at least. Now, as soon as you watch the video, you're bored of it, you're on to the next, you will never watch it again. Things are so fast now. It's and so disposable, so disposable. So disposable. You know, you used to save up, I used to save up my uh, like dinner money to go and buy the album. 
You know, you want to, to get the cassette and then sit down and listen to it. No, you were obviously you would make the, those couple of quid worth. You know, the whole year you'll say, "Mate, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. it's that. Like, you, you haven't eaten to say to, to listen to some of those. That's right. You know I mean? That's a big deal, man. Yeah, yeah. I remember I did that with. So mad because like I've got it right here, but like this is obviously I did it with one of my first that was enough vibes in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I was like Apache, and then like Apache gave me this one, yeah. He, he re- wow. released it, and he's like, he signed it, and I was like, complete circle. But the real album that I remember going absolutely ballistic over was a hundred percent proof Punjab BMC. Yeah, that one I bought that and Grassroots. I, I bought Grassroots was hundred percent proof. I bought that five six Both times. Of those albums, yeah, easy man. Yeah. And it was just, oh, next level. What a geezer! I'm gonna try and get him on, but. I'm gonna get the timing right to get him on. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so um, this is called the bandwagon. So uh, I every, any guest that comes on, I give him an opportunity to either jump on a bandwagon or jump off a bandwagon. Or okay. generally, if there's anything that they want to get off their chest, this is the space to do so. So this is your your space. Oh wow! I mean, the, the one of the the key points that I made earlier is that you know I've, because I was talking about this. With some some of the other artists, like what we said about about the TV stations, the radio stations, yeah, not sporting us at that time when we really needed them. You know, I mean, they were sporting. But I don't know if they, it was the the financial sort of side of things or people like you know I don't know what it was. You know, and you know the time that we're in now, like I said before, I would even say to any other artists, you know, that are coming out, build your platforms, build your own platforms, yeah. Don't rely on anybody. Don't um, because you'll get lost. You'll get lost. You know, you if you start relying on like stations and this, that, whatnot, and you, you think that they're gonna they're the ones that are gonna make you make it hit for you or make make you what you wanna be, it's not gonna work. You need to make yourself and study your art. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that are hit now that really, you know, when you put them in a situation where to sing live or to sing like this, they can't really do it, right? And it's it's quite disheartening. You think, you know, you've been so blessed to be, you know, that you've got the stage. You know, you've been blessed that you've been put on the stage, that you get, but there's no respect for the art. So always yeah. respect your art. There's, there's a lot of artists like that where you see, you got the fan base, you got the followers, you got your Instagram, you got the visuals, it looks great. But when the actual time comes to sing a song at a wedding, you sound terrible. Yeah. And this is something I learned from, you know, respect for your art. Going back to that, this is something I learned by sitting with people like Goldas One, by people sitting like, you know, with, with the great Indian dancers, the, the respect, you know, we never drink before we go on stage. We, we you know, we, we bless the stage before we go. And, you know, we, we take pride in what we're going to wear, you know, and the, the, the way we, and before the show, you know, how we're going to be and the mindset that we're going to be in before. And, you know, we don't want those kind of people around us. We don't want people smoking or drinking around us, you know, at that sort of time. Because it's for us, it's like praying, you know, it's like it's God. And, you know, obviously people are going to take it the other way. Oh, yeah, there's alcohol there, this, this, that. But that's what's there. That's what we're in. But it's not for us. And like, we would, I would never go on stage drinking or be drunk or drink on stage or whatever, you know, because I, I would feel that I'm disrespecting my art. I would never leave my instrument in my car overnight. I would never, you know, my instrument's always with me. You know, uh, things like that. There's, there's certain things, you know, we respect um, the art, you know, that this is, and this is why it's giving back. The, the art is giving back is whether I'm a hit or not, I've survived over 20 odd years, you know, in this industry. And that's all I've done. I don't do, I, I've never done no nine to five. I've never done anything else. Straight away when I came out of university, I went to uh, work for Kuljit Bamra. And since then I've been in the studio game. You know, that's because I respect my art. I believe in it. I trust it to give it back to me. You know, it'll give something back to me and it is giving back to me. So that's what I would just really, really urge people that are coming into this industry, you know, respect, learn, respect the uh, the elders as well. You know, like, um, I, I, you know what it is? I've just seen some young people, you know, like they see, there's some senior artists, right? Even if they're not currently a hit now, you've got to respect that they are senior and they are, um, you know, they, because of them, we are doing what we're doing now, right? And I've been to certain shows where this, this crowd's coming up to me, and you know, I said, Look, let, the senior artists here, let them come. Oh, no, don't worry about him. Back in that was back in the day, but you know, this is, is quite 
you know, is really, really heartbreaking because you know what? Tomorrow I might be that senior artist. You know what I mean? And we've lost that. We're losing that respect for artists now, right? We're, we're losing that. And that's something that we, you know, that's not talked about. You know, it's not, thing, you know, we need to respect these, these artists that have, that have paved the way for us. I mean, we are the first British born singers, right? Like my generation, you know, we can say like B21 and Zeus and, you know, Punjabi MC, you know, we're all born over here in the UK and then trying to uh, promote Punjabi music. You know, we're still trying to promote what, you know, and it was a bit easier for the guys that when they first came because they actually were, they were born in that. So they understood it more than us. We had to learn that sitting here. We had to learn what's right and what's wrong. And now we're losing that, you know, so it's, it's quite, you know, it's quite heartbreaking. But I would always say, you know, respect our senior artists. You know, whenever you see one of our, our artists, anybody that's in the music game that have been there, that are, whether it's big or small, you know, respect them. You know, I would say that to artists even themselves respect you know are the guys that have come from before us you know attach their feet give them the seat get up from your bloody seat let them sit down they they deserve that you know a hundred percent and it's one of the reasons why I, I wanted to get into this into this um podcast is to get their stories down and documented it down as, as best as i could for me um, well, you did a great job man because if they can't get if we can't hear them then a lot of them a lot of the journey that energy and how people have eaten roti based on their hard work as well. Yeah. They they never got any rights. They never got views. They never got a lot of money. They were having full time jobs and balancing family and doing it. That's you know, it. they tried the best that they could. You know, and the hits failed. that they made, and the hits that they made at that time is impossible even to do now. They, if it was equivalent to now, you know, you would be. You know, they sold physical copies in the thousands. Mm. Oh, in the hundred thousands, you know that is amazing. Well, eighty percent of a playlist at a wedding is something of twenty years plus. Yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it right. tells it, which, which is crazy. They they won't ever see that revenue back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. They they made good money. They they made great music, man, and they made great moves. And they actually, you know, they they made this industry. They they if they if it wasn't for them, you know, God knows even if we would be here talking. Mm. You know, if they never started such a big revolution over here. We do really appreciate you taking time. I, I know this is a rare interview and it's very hard to kind of pin it down, but I really appreciate it. But I've got you on a schedule now. So when it when you're releasing those films, I've got to get you back on. <laughs> no, 100%. Thank you so much. That would be a pleasure, man. It's been great talking to you. It's been really nice. Thanks, you, bro. Thank you, yeah. Thank you very much. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.